0: Good morning church good morning. I say good morning church
1: good morning. God is good all
0: the time. And all the time God is good. Amen, Amen yes. uh, Forgive me and my spectacles this morning We have a kind of love-hate relationship That's good to see uh, Alison back in the house this morning welcome back Ali all the way from uh, the Dutch reformed country <laughs> the Netherlands uh, just a pleasure having you back I'm sure mommy and daddy are relieved yeah. and uh, also good to see um, my good friends Keegan and Carmen in the house this morning hey, Amen come guys don't be don't be boring give them uh, a) <laughs> Clap, make them feel welcome. And uh, on TV, on TV, Virginia in the house as well. She is no stranger. And uh, am I missing someone? Uh, Daryl, I see you brought a special visitor uh, all the way from the United States of Peter (laughs) Maritzburg. Everybody welcome. Barry, you know Barry from The Flash. Just welcome uh, Barry's fiance, the house Whitney. And uh, am I am I missing anyone this morning? Anyone? Okay, I see that hand at the back. Jesus loves you. <laughs> uh, amen. Amen. Good to have you. If you a guest, feel welcome. Amen. This is your father's house amen. and uh, it's just good to be in God's presence. Um, it always pains me to see folk running on a Sunday morning on my way to church. I'm like, there's no better way to spend your Sunday morning than in the house of God. Amen. I also want to extend a welcome to everyone if you visit this uh, fellowship regularly, um, please I will encourage you hop on to our Thursday Zoom meeting, our partnership meeting. Uh, Do your due diligence to know what we are about, what we believe. and. you know, uh, just clear your conscience in case you're wondering whether these happy clappies are preparing us to drink some Kool-Aid down the line, if you know uh, history. Um, we just get to dis- discuss why Rebirth is year, what we believe, and if you have any questions, you're free to ask, okay? Amen. Okay, so that's, th- this, is this Thursday, hey? Eh? This Thursday, uh, on Zoom, um, our communications team will send out uh, we'll send out all the uh, comms. Is this uh, mic Tubasi? Is it, is it fine? Don't think I'm going to be doing any screaming this morning <laughs>
1: uh,
0: So this should be fine. Amen. Family, turn me to the book of beginnings The book of beginnings. We are in our Genesis series We are in chapter 3 When you're there, please give me an amen. There's no way you can get finding Genesis wrong If you are seeing the book of revelations, please see me urgently after the meeting So we can lay hands and conduct a deliverance session You should be at the first book of the bible, we are in chapter 3 And uh, like I mentioned last week, the reading of the scripture is the main feature of a Sunday morning sermon Because there's nothing better that a preacher can say than what is written. Amen Amen. Genesis chapter 3. Let's read from verses 1 Now the serpent was more cunning Than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made And he said to the woman has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden but can can we rewind because chapter two and verse 25 is a pivotal uh, verse that leads into verse one and they were both naked the man and, and his wife and they were not ashamed now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the lord god had made and he said to the woman has god indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden and the woman said to the serpent you may eat The fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband who was with her and he ate. Adam didn't even put up a fight. You know? Hey, woman's it must have been woman's <laughs> month, eh? Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened And they knew that they were naked And they sewed fig leaves together And made themselves coverings And they heard the sound of the Lord God Walking in the garden in the cool of the day And Adam and his wife hid themselves From the presence of the Lord God Among the trees of the garden And the Lord God called to Adam And said to him, where are you? And So he replied and said I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself And God said who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I've commanded you not that you shall not eat and the man said the woman Whom you gave to be with me he plays the blame game she gave me of the tree and I ate and the Lord God said to the woman what is this you have done and the woman said the serpents deceived me and i ate and the lord god said to the serpents because you have done this you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every piece of the field on your belly you will go about and you shall eat dust all the days of your life and i will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel and to the woman he said i will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception in pain You shall bring forth children That means every time you on that hospital bed pregnant with another baby, you should be reminded (laughs) Of the consequences of disobedience Your desire shall be for your husband, but he will rule over you This is where um, Feminism feminism is rooted. It's rooted in Sin and disobedience Then Adam said Then to Adam he said Because you have heeded the voice of your wife And you have eaten from the tree of which I have commanded you Saying you shall not eat of it Cursed is the ground for your sake In toil you shall eat of it All the days of your life Both thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you And you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken and formed and for the dust you are, and to the dust you shall return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Also for Adam and Eve, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent sent them out of the garden of Eden till the ground from which he was taken to till the ground from which it was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed the cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and the flaming sword, which he turned every way to God, the way to the tree of life. Amen. Amen. God bless to us the reading of his word. Can we pray this morning? Heavenly Father, we ask this morning that you will Anoint this time of fellowship. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the sweet fellowship Of the holy spirit We've come to express our love for you and our obedience to your word this morning We've come to hear from you and to receive your implanted ingrafted word Which James tells us is able to save our souls help us to mix your word with with faith and That it would not be unprofitable as it was to our forefathers who were in the wilderness Who heard your word and did not mix it with faith and rebelled and so your spirit was grieved But help us this morning that as we hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to receive what you say and mix it with faith That we will not be rebels But we will be sons and daughters of the most high he said he who does the will of the lord will endure forever and so lord we ask holy spirit immerse us in your word immerse us in your word open our eyes to see the wondrous things in your word in the mighty name of jesus and everybody says amen Amen. Just a quick review, family. Um, This is our second part sermon. Last week we discussed how Moses is the author of the book of Genesis. He authored five books of the Bible, the first five books of the Bible. Um, In Hebrew, it's known as the Torah. In Greek, it's known as the Pentateuch. Genesis is the first book of the Pentateuch which sets the ground and foundation for the Torah. Genesis was written 3,500 years ago and it covers a span of 2,000 years. Genesis is the Greek title from the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. The Hebrew title for the book of Genesis is the Hebrew term Berashit which is a singular word for three English words, in the beginning. Perashit in the beginning is a title given to Genesis because ancient civilization had the practice of naming a book by the first words that appeared in the book. What kind of genre is Genesis? There's been much debate, but it is primarily a historical narrative. But Steinberg argues convincingly that Moses aims to produce a work that is historical That is ideological and aesthetic poetically speaking So Moses who is the narrator is teaching us by telling us historical events How is Genesis structured? It's structured into two main parts So between chapters one and chapters 11 you have what's called primeval history and between chapters 12 and 50 you have what's called patriarchal history between chapters 1 and 11 patri- uh, primeval history you have four events you have creation you have the fall of man you have the flood and you have the Tower of Babel between chapters 12 and 50 patriarchal history you have four people Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. What was the purpose uh, for the book of Genesis? It was to give us a trace of our origins and our beginnings. It was to introduce us to who God is and his nature. But perhaps the most significant plot behind the narrative of Genesis is a tragic one. And as C.S. Lewis stated uh, that, The history of mankind is a long terrible story of how man is trying to find something other than God to make him happy. And this is the underlying plot to the book of Genesis. It's a sad one. God created man perfect. He created uh, all of creation perfect, but man rebelled and so from genesis to revelations you have this plot of how god is reaching out to man to redeem mankind and the big question behind genesis is this like we discussed last week uh, is is will you believe what god said or will you believe what man teaches or what satan says and that's the underlying question behind the book of genesis our bible topic this morning is uh, a subject of systematic theology which is hamartiology okay hamartiology hamartiology if you're making notes you can also go back on our podcast um, app and uh, get to making notes and doing your own research hamartiology is the study of sin and it deals with how sin originated and how sin affects humanity And what will be the ultimate result of sin after death? Okay, so let's firstly define what is sin. Sin in Greek is, well, we get the Greek word homatia, which simply means to miss the mark. And when you put it into the biblical uh, context, To miss the mark simply means to fall short of the glory of God. To deviate from God's moral law. And ultimately it means to rebel against God. McKay and MacArthur defined sin in this this way. He also stated that sin must be understood from from a theocentric view, from God's view. Sin must not be understood from man's point of view. You must look and define sin from God's point of view. And he stated this way that at the core of what sin is, sin is a violation of the creator-creature relationship man only exists because God made him and man is in every sense obligated to serve his Creator and what sin does is sin causes us to assume a role of God and to contend for independence for ourselves apart from our Creator. So the most all-encompassing view of sin is this, is that sin demands independence and self-rule. Where does sin originate from? The Bible lays the blame for sin's entry into the world on the first man, Adam. Bible tells us that in Romans 5 verse 12, Therefore just as the w- through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and death spread to all men, because all sinned. Death uh, and sin were given passage through one man, and that was Adam. But the Bible also alludes to the fact that sin first made its entrance into the universe through Satan. And we read that in 1st John chapter 3 verse 8 where John declares whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning he is the father of lies what you will notice between uh, Adam and Satan is that there is a parallel between their rebellious hearts. Both Satan and Adam were created sinless, and both of the of them experienced the immediate presence of God. Satan was in God's presence in heaven, and Adam was in God's presence in the Garden of Eden. Both Adam and Satan were unsatisfied and unfulfilled with their perfect conditions and both of them desired to become like their creator and rather than becoming equal with God their rebellion ironically made them less like God What are the effects of sin on humanity firstly there is personal impact. When we sin it has a personal impact on us. Sin always leads to shame, disappointment, sometimes physical harm and it leaves you unfulfilled. Sin has a spiritual impact on us personally. Mm. Secondly, there is a relational impact of sin. Three connections are damaged and severed by our relationship with sin. Firstly and foremostly, man's relationship with God is disconnected. Secondly, our relationship with one another, with our relationships with people is disrupted. Sin disrupts the relationship we have one towards another. And thirdly, sin's impact is also on creation. That's why Romans chapter 8 declares that the whole of creation groans and moans and eagerly awaits for the manifestation of the sons of God. The ground was cursed for our sake.
1: And lastly,
0: what are the ultimate consequences of sin? The ultimate consequence to sin is widespread and it's devastating and it can be summarized in one word death death god told adam but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day you eat of it you will surely die death was the only penalty for disobedience and we die in three areas we die spiritually we are alienated from god secondly we die physically God told Adam the day you eat when when you judged him and he he cursed him he said from the from the earth you were formed and from the earth you will now return and Lastly there is an eternal death Eternal death awaits those who die physically while being spiritually dead And revelations 20 refers to this eternal death as the second death Now let's get into our message this morning. I promise to be kind With you last week the brakes failed (laughs) The locomotive was going too fast, so Okay, so let's examine Genesis chapter 3 There are there are six scenes that unfold from chapter 2 verse 25 all the way through to chapter 3 verses 21 to 24 and we're going to look at these uh, these uh, six scenes and how they unfold. First scene we have is chapter 2 verse 25. It's a description of man's state of being. It's the prologue. We often bypass this, this statement or this verse and we don't look at it with intent. But there is so much meaning Conveyed in chapter 2 verse 25 when the Bible mentions that both Adam and Eve were naked the man and his wife and they were Unashamed. Firstly this speaks of their innocence. This speaks of their state of well-being. There were whole transparent open individuals that had complete trust in their creator and complete trust in one another. They were vulnerable they were innocent but they were pure and whole beings secondly if you observe this verse very closely you will notice that it is a transitional statement it connects the narrative uh, of of creation the creation narrative and it links it with the temptation narrative thirdly you will also notice uh, if you dive past the English translation into the Hebrew text you will know that there is a play on terms. Verse 25 of chapter 2 has the term naked and verse 1 of chapter 3 has the word cunning. Now according to Hamilton there is an acoustical similarity in Hebrew between these terms naked and cunning naked is in Hebrew arum and cunning in Hebrew is arum is a play on terms and the narrator does this intentionally because he's trying to draw a contrast between man's innocence and man's nature and the nature of the serpent that he's crafty and cunning and lastly you will see that this verse 25 that they were naked and unashamed also parallels with chapter 3 verse 21 so chapter 2 verse 25 reads they were both naked and not ashamed and chapter 3 verse 21 we read for adam and his wife the lord god made tunics and clothed them so what we see in chapter 2 is that they were innocent God gave them innocence, but they lost that innocence to disobedience. And then we see the parallel in chapter 3 verse 21 of when God mercifully covers their shame and clothes them. Now we move on to the second scene. The second scene is between verses 1 and verses 5 of chapter 3. Are you still with me? This is a dialogue we find between the serpent and the woman. And I'm just going to read verses 1 to 5 very quickly. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God made And he said to the woman has God indeed said You shall not eat of every tree of the garden and the woman said to the serpent you may eat The fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden God has said you shall not eat uh, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you will eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what the narrator does is waste no time in introducing us to the antagonist in the narrative, which is the serpent. The narrator doesn't go into detail about the serpent, Um, so we don't want to overemphasize the origins of the serpent but one thing I will say that if you read through this temptation narrative you you won't necessarily associate the serpent with with Satan But it's only in the New Testament that we have Satan revealed and unveiled. So, what the New Testament does for us, and I said this last week, is that we've got to read the Old Testament from New Testament spectacles. Because the New Testament is the complete picture on the puzzle box. And we use the New Testament to interpret the Old Testament. Okay. So we know this is Satan. Because Revelation twelve, verse nine, chapter twenty, verse two refers to Satan as the serpent of old. And so we can trace Satan's involvement back to the Garden of Eden. And Walkie tells us that it's Satan who originates in heaven, who stands outside of earth's natural order. He is cunning and wiser than all humans, and his aim is to bring them under his rule. And why he is cunning and wiser? Because he knows divine matters and he knows how to manipulate language and speech. So the narrator does tell us something about the serpent, about its nature and its origin. The serpent is described as being a cunning creature. Now, the term cunning is a neutral term, okay? In Proverbs it's translated in a good way which means prudence or wisdom. But this term takes on a negative connotation because of the context and Hamilton tells us that the best way to take the description of the serpent um, is that it's a description that is best applied to the context of the temptation narrative. So one thing I will admit to you this morning is that it is bizarre that you will find a talking snake in a garden But what we read here in Genesis chapter 3 If you'll note verse 1 the serpent is described as being a beast of the field Which the Lord God had made so this rules out the interpretation and and Uh, presupposition that this could be an allegory or this could be a spiritual uh, 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 interpretation of a snake. This is a literal, physical, real snake that God had created. But Boyce says that the creature that tempted Eve became a serpent because it had legs became a serpent as a result of God's God's judgment and then went on to slithering into into the into the bushes so initially you must understand that this serpent is described as a beast of the field so it's not your typical understanding of what a serpent looks like it's interesting that when you read the book of Job and you this is a side rabbit trail When you when you study the the imagery and the language used to define Leviathan, Leviathan is described as a serpent with legs That's just you for your own homework (laughs) So secondly, what we gather from the rest of scripture is that Especially in the in the primeval period what what we gather is that the rule of engagement between the, the Angelic world and the natural world were quite different to the engagement we have now post-Calvary and the cross. In other words, when you read the story closely, you will note that Eve is not shocked to be talking to a serpent. Now, this can imply a few things. Firstly, may perhaps they could communicate with, with animals, but I'm not going to go far out into that wilderness of thought. <laughs> Secondly, it implies that the rules of engagement were different between the angelic world and the natural world. Mm -hmm. In other words, it was probably not a strange phenomena for them to be communicating with angels in various forms, but that still remains speculative. What we do gather from Jesus in Luke chapter 24 verse 39 When he appears to be resurrected He comes to his disciples and he he says behold my hands and my feet I feel it is eyes really eye and then he goes on to say a spirit does not have flesh and blood as You see so spirits do not have flesh and blood so the serpent could not be in spirit form It was a natural creature Paul also states uh, that the woman wasn't surprised by the serpent speaking. And it seems like Adam and Eve would have had free conversation with angelic beings who appeared in various forms of men or perhaps animals. Now, one thing that is common occurrence in scripture is this, is that angelic beings are able to influence the physical world. And it's not the first time an animal was speaking. Who can tell me uh, for 10 (laughs) cents? Maybe I'll make myself broke on a Sunday morning. (laughs) Who can tell me of any other instance when an animal spoke? Did someone say, yes, oh, bro. <laughs> Balaam's donkey. When God wanted to interrupt um, Balaam from prophesying judgment against Israel, he dispatched an angel and through angelic influence, a donkey spoke and said, hey, Balaam, what are you doing? <laughs> Also, when we get into the New Testament We see Jesus come into the gatherings and face legion And what does legion ask for? Don't send me to hell Send me into the swine. So we have a case where demons or disembodied spirits embody animals, swine, a herd of swine and influence the swine to jump into the, into the river And so we see angels demonic forces uh, in scripture with the ability to exert influence on the natural realm so in conclusion I'm going to uh, put my flag in the ground and say this was a demon possessed snake (laughs) sounds like a good horror movie (laughs) (laughs) this was a a snake that was embodied by Satan and from Scripture you see this is not outside of the norm There is another interesting uh, Truth to note about the appearance of a snake and we dealt with this last week. We spoke about the uh, polemic nature of Scripture, you know when we looked at uh, creation, we saw how the Hebrew creation narrative um, takes a strong stance and argument against what the Egyptian mythology uh, creation narrative taught. And so when you get a serpent onto the scene, you must understand that in ancient Middle Eastern times serpents were pictured as deities. They were symbols of life. And protection and joins tells us that in various contexts serpents were the Canaanites facil- uh, the goddesses of fertility yeah. and spoke of the renewal of life because they shed skin but here in the garden of Eden the serpent is not pictured as a god but as an anti-god an adversary of God a being that does not come to bring life but comes to bring death and so when we look at how the temptation unravels in chapter 3 you see how this serpent engages the woman in dialogue and it's over the nature of the Word of God in chapter 1 we saw how God powerfully demonstrates himself in creation ex nihilo, in calling all of reality from nothing into existence. Mm -hmm. By the power of his spoken word, by mere utterances, he, he creates an organized universe outside of himself by speaking. In chapter 2 we see how God's Word takes on another form and how God formulates his Word and presents it to man in the commandment to obey. And here in chapter 3 we have God's Word come into question. In previous chapters what God said was clear And now what God has said becomes a matter of debate. In previous chapters we see how God's word brought order and life to creation and now we see Satan distort God's word to bring death and chaos. And how does Satan do it? He poses a question. He poses a question that seems innocent as though he's making an inquiry has God really said the reason why he poses this question in this in a seemingly innocent way is because he's attempting to lower her guards but this question is loaded with an implication this question is loaded with an invitation to scrutinize God But I want you to notice How Satan subtly distorts the word of God. Turn with me to verse 1. Now Satan Was more cunning than any other beast of the field which the Lord God had made, had said to the woman Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? What was the command? Chapter 2 verse 16 And the Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden you may freely eat But of the tree of knowledge and good of evil you shall not eat What did Satan ask? You shall Has the Lord God has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree What is he doing here? Think about it He is, He's distorting the word of God in such a way to change her perspective So he engages her Not on what God has provided But on what God has prohibited So he engages the woman and says and implies that God had commanded that you don't eat from all the trees and so he engages her on what God said no to. Setting her up to forget everything that God said yes to. funny how whenever we have an issue with God it's always around his nose. Mm, come on, it's never around what God has said yes to. Come on.
1: sure.
0: um, one of my daughters, I hope she's not here and I hope she's not listening, oh Lord, but it's such a fitting example. I won't say which daughter, that's the only grace I will give. I love her of uh, all my daughters, but she came up to us yesterday and was it the day before, we were forgetting, but anyway, she comes up to us and she says uh, mommy, daddy Can we take a trip to Pretoria on Sunday after church? There's a show I want to see You know, it's just 400 rand a ticket. So I'm already doing the math and she's begging, I really, really want to go, you know? And uh, her mother says, no, we, we're we not going, the tickets are too expensive. Oh, but, but we can get a discount, it's just 10% off. And then her mother said, no, we are not going. It's after church, we're exhausted, we've had a busy week, yada, yada, yada. And we, we, we've, we've done a lot for you when it's come to, this setup, up?" And the answer is no. And she persisted but this time, you know, she turned up the velocity and the tears started to flow. And then when the tears began to flow the accusations were starting to get her. But you always do this for so-and-so and, and you don't do this for me. This is the only thing I'm asking for. No, 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 no. And then daddy steps in. And ask one question as your parents are we allowed to say no yeah. yes, daddy. <laughs> I said it's no and this is why deep down when I look at at our nature I, th- I think our nature to sin is rooted in ingratitude. Yeah. we forget everything that God has done. We forget everything we have. You forget the wife you have at home that's cooking you meal after meal, rubbing your feet every night, and the next squirrel squirrel that drives past makes you forget the wife that God has provided you, and all of a sudden you want a slay queen. You forget the job that God has provided you with and all of a sudden you feel you need to make an extra few bucks and, and twist the system and fraudulently you know, get more money for yourself. God's generosity was not in full view when Satan was done with Eve. He made her forget how generous he was God's word cannot just be reduced to rules and prohibitions God's word contains his provisions and his prohibitions Don't let the enemy twist and distort your perspective to thinking that walking with God is just about the do's and don'ts. It's just about the rules. What do I have to give up to serve Him? You mean I have to give up my drink? You mean I have to give up my drug addiction? You mean I have to give up uh, Mr. Harry next to me? Come on, please. <laughs> we forget all that God has done and Satan makes us focus on what God said we cannot have. And so what he's doing here, effectively, is painting God as a a repressive rule giver who's harsh and who's saying don't eat from everywhere. And this is the nature of sin and temptation. The real intent behind the question was an invitation for Eve to set herself as an arbitrator. And judge over God and scrutinize his goodness and scrutinize his greatness and scrutinize his character but when we bring God's character and and goodness into disrepute we are effectively setting ourselves up as though we judges over God that's why sin at its core is an attempt to dethrone God And that's why idolatry strikes at the heart of God. Because idolatry is man's attempt to exalt a creature over the Creator. Sin is the deifying of man and the humanizing of God. In other words, we exalt ourselves and we humble God. And so the woman replies to the serpent Mind you, she responds and corrects the serpent Did, did you see that? Yeah. She corrects the serpent, but she doesn't correct him accurately
1: yes.
0: Notice verse 2 and the woman said to the serpent you may eat We may eat the fruits of the trees of the garden But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now there are three changes she makes to her understanding of God's word. Firstly, she minimizes the provisions of the Lord. The Lord said in Genesis chapter 2, you may freely eat. Freely eat. She replies and says, We may eat. Secondly, she adds to the prohibition, which tells you a heart of strength. The Lord said nothing about touching the tree. But Eve says that God says that you shall not eat nor even touch the tree. Thirdly, she weakens the penalty for sin and disobedience god had declared you shall surely die and eve replies god said least you die so ross states that if the precise wording of the original commandment is weakened then the appeal to sin grows stronger So I'm going to use this moment to remind us all of the importance of having a firm grip on the word of God. Mm. Have an accurate understanding about what you believe about God. Mm. Love your Bible. Learn your Bible. Study your Bible obey your Bible A command Westerman said that is questioned is now no longer the original command And so the serpent replies to the woman and now he shifts gears And he says you will not surely die now he directly contradicts the word of god for god knows that in the day you eat of it your eyes will be open and you will be like him knowing good from evil he first lured eve into a discussion with him Lowered her God, then planted the seeds of uncertainty about God's word and what God said And then he exposes Eve's incomplete understanding of God's word And then he brings God's character and goodness into, into disrepute and into question And now he moves in for the kill with an outright direct contradiction of what God has said God said in the day that you eat you will surely die He downplayed The word of God And he said you will not surely die He implied that there is no consequences to disobeying God's word Friends and family let us not assume for one moment that there are no consequences to sin and disobedience. You might get away with it for a period of time, but in the end, it will sting. Yeah. Come on. God said in that day, when you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. Augustine comments and says, if it be asked what death God threatened man with, whether it was bodily, or spiritual, or the second death the answer is it was all what's the funny thing about Satan's reply to the woman is that he was telling no blatant lies because God even said in 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 chapter 22 that man has become like us knowing good from evil But what Satan did was tell a half-truth. They did become like God, being able to uh, discern good from evil. But they became less like Him. And what Satan, what makes Satan's lies deceptive is that his lies always contain half-truths. And the half-truth is a great lie. So their eyes did open but only to their shame. So they did become like God knowing good from evil. And being able to distinguish what's morally right and what's morally wrong. Except that God distinguishes holiness and right and wrong from a place of purity. And now they get to distinguish right and wrong from a place of impurity and sin. Let's move on to our next scene, and that's the narrative between the man and the woman, verses 6 to 8. I'm going to read this quickly. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took it, took its fruit, and ate. She also gave to her husband, who uh, was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees. So we told that the woman, she saw that the, 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 the tree was good for food, number one. Secondly, we told that it was pleasant to her eyes. Thirdly, we told that it was desirable to make one wise. And this is how she surrenders to temptation. Um, And this is the way John describes um, is the pattern and outline for temptation in 1st John chapter 2 verse 16 that Satan works by the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. And uh, Jesus was tempted in the same threefold way. Uh, There was an appeal to his physical appetite. There was appeal to his emotional and covetous desires And there was an appeal made to his pride and that's Satan's modus operandi Eve's cravings essentially blurred her convictions and we should never allow our cravings to blur Our convictions don't ever sell your birthright for a bowl of soup so she took the fruit and she ate it and Kidna suggestively stated that it would take the death the coming death the burial and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that would take these verbs take and eat and they will become the verbs of salvation So she takes the fruit and she gives it to her husband and he eats it. He didn't put up any fight. He didn't put up any resistance. He just ate the fruit. He sinned. He disobeyed. And from this point sin entered the heart of man and creation. And literally Adam and Eve ate us out of house and home. (laughs) And sin ruined men. Sin ruined women sin has ruined angels sin has been the occasion for every tear of sorrow for every sigh of grief for every pang of agony sin has withered away everything that is beautiful and has blasted at everything that is good and through one man's sin into the world and sin gave passage to death and death reigned because it spread to all men and first timothy 2 tells us That Eve was deceived in her transgression but not Adam. Adam knew full well what he was doing. It took no trickery or craftiness from the woman to deceive him but it seems like he did not want Eve to fall in judgment herself. So he prized the creature over the Creator and we have a habit of doing that we get so preoccupied with our blessings that we forget the blesser and so he chooses creation he chooses the the creature over the creator and no matter how novel and romantic it seems it is still disobedient because fundamentally At every at the base of every relationship should not be your relationship with your wife or your relationship with your with your children It should be your relationship with God That's why Jesus said I did not come to bring peace I came to bring a sword Because when you really get on fire for the Messiah and when you really fall in love with God it will test every relationship
1: Mm.
0: Every relation, even the relationship between husband and wife, (laughs)
1: Mm.
0: sin entered the world because Adam held a position of authority and he was liable and culpable and he chose to die with his wife. So Romans 5 tells us therefore just as one man by one man sin entered the world and death through sin uh, and thus death spread to all men. And it goes on to say for by one man's offense death reigned; and it goes on to say as by one man man's offense judgment came to all men resulting in condemnation what was the result they hid from god they hid from god and when they heard the sound of the lord god walking in the garden in the cool of the day adam and his wife hid from the presence of God among the very trees God created they hid from an omniscient God Did they hide out of guilt and shame? Yes, they did but in my opinion and view they hid out of fear for their lives because God said in the day you eat you will surely die and so they were expecting To meet their fate of death It is our fallen condition and nature to hide from God's presence It's an expression of our sinful natures to always shrink back from the presence of God And so you will always find You will always find Sin and its nature Refraining from places and spaces where the presence of God is experienced We refrain from gatherings. We refrain from reading our Bibles. We refrain from prayer We even refrain from people who are Christians and believers because it's in our sinful nature to refrain from the presence of God and anything that looks like him or resembles him and that's embedded in our fallen nature Our fallen nature runs from god not to him but what does god do god runs to them and he doesn't approach them as though he's some interrogating commanding officer no he approaches them like a heartbroken father and he shows them that man's rebellion does not stop him from coming after them And Walkie states that the proof of love is the unwillingness of God to abandon the object of his love. Even when love fails to achieve its desired end, God still comes looking out for man. And God goes out on a search for Adam and Eve. And this is the message of the gospel God searching for man, God reaching for man, God's grace towards man God's call to man there's been no other way it's been God's search for you and I anybody here this morning knows what it's like to have God search for them I know next scene we have in closing is a dialogue between God man and the woman from verses 9 to 13 and I won't read it for the sake of time But the Lord God calls to Adam It's not an interrogation of an angry officer But it's a heartfelt cry of an anguished father. He obviously knows Where they are Mm. But the reason why he calls for them is because he feels the gulf between them he feels the distance between them and so he calls for Adam not so that he might know where Adam is but so that Adam could think about where they are he's provoking Adam to think about where he is in relationship to his walk with God and secondly he calls Adam and Eve because he's inviting them to come to a place of accountability Mm -hmm. he's inviting them to come and say we sorry because God never asks questions that he wants answers to he asks questions because he wants accountability Mm -hmm. and they shift from their responsibility and they play the blame game Mm -hmm. Adam blames God says the wife you gave me He blames the woman essentially. Eve shifts the blame and says it was the serpent. And then we move on to Our next scene and this is the closing scene praise the Lord. This is the closing scene And it's a narrative between God, man, woman and the serpent from verses 14 to 21 God speaks to the serpent and I'm going to read this part from verses 14 to 15 if you can follow with me it's so important and I'm I'm going to kind of end on on this note and he speaks to the serpent first and he judges pronounces a sentence on the serpent first because you have done this you are more cursed than all the cattle, he curses the actual creature (laughs) you know that's how devastating the effect of sin was that God was like, I'm judging the vessel too, like how the swine were judged, and says, and more. Than, I'm gonna judge you more than every other beast in the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Now, uh, one thing I will mention that there is evidence, archaeological evidence of a fossil found 2015 of a serpent with legs. Okay. Mm-hmm so there is evidence of some kind of serpent having and possessing legs okay but this creature was not a serpent slithering around before the judgment it evolved into or mutated into this uh, legless slithering serpent because of God's judgment and now God pronounces judgment on the woman uh, on Satan and says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed and he will bruise your head and you shall bruise His heel. It's a reference to the cross bruise heel of Christ God judges the serpent The the creature and he judges Satan. So the first part is directed to the animal and the second part is directed to uh, Satan and the funny thing is yeah, there's no question posed to the serpent like it was posed to Adam and Eve the serpent just had his sentence announced to him you know and God commanded the serpent to slither, and all of creation came under a curse but more specifically and particularly the serpent okay so the second part of the curse and I'm going to end on this note is we have here in Latin what's called the prodi evangelium of the Old Testament the prodi evangelium of the Old Testament. It's in Latin and what it means is we have here the first proclamation of the gospel. The first proclamation of the gospel is a promise of a Messiah to come. The first proclamation of the gospel was a sentence passed on to Satan. And it wasn't a direct promise to the man. So what does this tell you about the gospel? And what does this tell us about the redemption of man? That the redemption of man first and foremost is about God's role. As much as it's about our need. It's about God's glory. It's about his dominion. It's about his power. It's about his sovereignty. It's about him. So he must redeem man because it's about him. It's for his namesake. He must get the glory out of this. He won't let the devil have his last laugh. Because what the devil was boasting was that I took a perfect man, your perfect creatures in a perfect environment and I made them imperfect. And so God said, I will have the last laugh. I will take imperfect men and women in an imperfect world, and I will perfect them, justify them, sanctify them, and glorify them. This was a prophecy on the defeat of Satan on the cross of Calvary. That Satan would bruise the heel of of the Messiah, but the Messiah would crush the head of the serpent. The heel was the only part within the serpent's reach. But the Messiah would crush the head and crown of the serpent. This prophecy and the sentence also gives us hints to the virgin birth, because God declared that the Messiah, the deliverer, would come from the seed of a woman. A woman does not produce seeds. That the the Messiah would not come from the seed of a man, but the seed of a woman. And He pronounces judgment. On the woman, and he pronounces judgment on the man. And what's beautiful in verse 25, in sorry verse 21, is that we see a picture of God making him and tunics of skin. Verse chapter 2 verse 25 we told that they were innocent, they were naked, unashamed and then in verse 21 of chapter 3 we told that God now comes he makes tunics from skin and he clothes them, they had manufactured their own fig leaves and it was a prickly kind of leaf, imagine a prickly kind of leaf on your nether regions (laughs) and God instead sacrificed an animal and he made a covering for mankind and this tells us that the oldest profession in the world is the clothing business In order for Adam and Eve to be clothed a Sacrifice needed to be made An animal had to die there was a substitutionary sacrifice made to clothe Adam and Eve and this anticipated the gospel of Jesus Christ That an innocent substitute would die in the place of the guilty First John 3 verse 18 for Christ also died for our sins once for all the just for the unjust So that he might bring us to God having put to death in the flesh but made alive in the the spirit. Romans 13 says put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What a tremendous display of God's mercy and God's love. God by right should have killed them and annihilated them on the spot but mercy triumphed over judgment. Can we stand? Amen.